It's your Doc Master, Michael Ottolano, and you are listening to The Starboard. Joining me today are two legendary songwriters, formerly of Climax Blues Band, and now on their current project, Holt and Jones, here to talk about the release of their brand new album, Shadow Man. Welcome, Derek Holt and Richard Jones. How you doing, gentlemen? Good evening. Hello. Good and good morning, as it is here. And oh, yeah, yeah. Good evening, as it is there. Or, or the other way around. I don't know. I'm very confused. I think it's morning for you, isn't it, Michael? Morning? It, it, it's 10 a.m. And who's in Spain? Which one's in Spain? Okay. Derek's in Spain. And what time is it there? 7 o'clock, evening. And it's 6 o'clock in the evening in London. There's so many questions that I can start off with. So... One of the main things that I want to ask you personally is about Miles Copeland. Miles Copeland obviously was very famous for the band that he brought over. We don't need to say their name. There's a lot of backstories with that band. And I found it interesting that he produced Climax Blues Band. So what was that like in the beginning? Well, he managed the band, really. How we met, we were the band were going down to the Marquee Club in London. And uh, he was on the street corner and he shouted through the window, hey, I want to manage you guys. And it basically just started from there. We'd already we had already known people like Wishbone Ash and Caravan and um, Curved Air. They were all on Miles's sort of management label, you know, so he took us under his wing. But the funny thing is, you see, I mean, by at this time, I wasn't in uh, Climax Blues. I'd been in it at the beginning. I'd then gone off to university. And when I came out of university, I joined a band that was a kind of cult uh, multimedia band This called Principal Edwards Magic Theatre. You know, it was a kind of a cult band in the UK. And um, we, uh, we eventually... Uh, met up with an agent who uh, we'd been with various agencies, but one agent who got really into us his um, was actually Miles's brother, and he brought Miles along to one of our gigs, and Miles started managing us, and mm. I think I was aware that he was also managing Climax, but of course he wouldn't have known that I'd been in Climax, and so in actual fact at one time you know in probably about seventy three and four, we, both bands were being managed by Climax, which meant that at that, at that time, I know that uh, we, we both shared the bill in various, you know, colleges and things like that. So, we, so you know, we'd meet up, wouldn't we? And um, I remember at one of these gigs, me and Derek have always been good mates, and I can remember saying to him, see you on top of the pops, mate. <laughs> little thinking oh, Top of the Pops was the programme the TV um, programme where you know that's where you wanted to be that's where you wanted to be ever since you were you know 13 Can you describe the landscape at that time? I know people were starting to experiment with different sound was there any of that going on at that time? No it was all, all analogue and uh, tape tape machines tape recorders No synthesizers. In okay. in fact um, it was, it was only at the very end of like when I was with Climax that um, there were any keyboards beyond having a Fender Rhodes or a clavinet. So this, this previous band I was in had an electronic organ that they'd been around for some time, 
Vox Continental. Remember those? Yeah, right. This was actually a haven, but uh, with a similar thing. In fact, which we, we shipped out to the States uh, to record stamp album. So, you know, on um, Sky High, those chords at the beginning, mm. they're all played on this haven organ, which had these strange sounds and the, and the sound on... Um, some others which completely escaped me <laughs> but there's certainly nothing synthesized as well the um if a song needed to be edited you used to have to splice the tape at a certain place and then join it up with sellotape or something it's the yeah. only way you could do it whereas which, today with digital it's it's a fantastic tool you know you can which um happened to, it didn't happen that often with us did it but because we could actually get through a whole take without screwing it up but it there's well, a yeah, couple we, of we used to be able to play play stuff and, and rehearse and get the arrangements right and then record them, you know. We were quite but of course, when, once you know the sound of that, once you know the sound of an edit, because there's always something that is going to be wrong, the, 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 the tonal quality might change very slightly or reverb might not, you know, go over the gap. I mean, I know there's a bit in Running Out of Time that does it. I know exactly where it is because my uh, piano chord suddenly cuts off I think I would never have done that. <laughs> and of course, you can hear it. You can hear it all over Beatle records, you know, early on as well, where they they spliced two tapes together. Yeah. Another example is is the Eagles, age, isn't it? Hotel California. There's a there's a great edit on that where where they put another verse on at the end. Is that the edit where it goes from four four into sixteen three? <laughs> Not that one, <laughs> but it just goes just goes absolutely dead. Yeah, and um, it's it's great. It's it's perfect. Michael's either choking to death there or he's coughing. I can't quite make up my mind. No, it's funny because it's true. It's funny because it's true because a lot of the times, especially in my age group, you just get used to it. So yeah. you don't notice it because it's just in the lexicon now. You know, songs, you hear them everywhere now, grocery stores and all that stuff. And so when you see it in the lexicon and it's just part of people's behavior now, it's kind of funny. To, and that's why well, it is a whole different ballgame. I mean, right from right from the thing of how do you get to make a record? I mean, now when anybody can make a record, you might not ever get heard, but anybody can do it. Whereas there, the only way you could make a record was getting signed up by a, a record company. So it was a big deal. I mean, the, 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 the A&R men of record companies, they were the big gatekeeper. And without without getting through them, you don't make a record. Without making a record, you don't get onto the radio. Uh, you know, very, very few radio stations. Only a couple of TV stations, certainly in, in Britain, not in the States, but in Britain. Uh, so very, very difficult to get any kind of exposure. Quite a different scene now. Well, I noticed with Gold Plated, specifically that album, it seems like every song 
was different than the next. It was almost like you're trying to see where you're going to land for an audience. That was records of the time. For instance, Motown records in the 70s, and one side was dance oriented, and then you turn it over and it was ballads. Cool in the Gang, 1979, they released three songs were just all instrumental, and then the other three were disco. And hey, the disco ones were successful, then great. Let's record a whole bunch of celebration type of songs with that same tempo and beat. We recorded that album. Um, we hadn't written, couldn't get it right. It was Miles's suggestion. I could think the record company as well. They said we could do with something a little bit more commercial. Can you go back into the studio and come up with something else? So that's exactly what we did. We hadn't got, couldn't get it right written, but we basically went in for four or five days to um, air studios in London and came up with couldn't get it right. course we delivered the the song to the record company and it became a hit but the producer of the album Mike Vernon well he got quite annoyed about it because he said you never told me you got that song and we said well we, we hadn't we wasn't even written so it was just one of those lucky lucky moments in the studio where everything aligned the planets aligned and we came up with the goods I thought, it, I thought it was interesting what you said about each each song sounding as if it was coming from a different place. You know, I, we 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 rehearsed for some time in preparation for the albums. At least at least we got familiar with the kind of the musical themes we were going to do. It didn't mean all the lyrics were worked out. The the arrangements definitely weren't out. But you know, you get to where it is just by playing. I mean, there's no other way. You can't do it like you can do it now where, you know, let's put some drums down and then let's let's try and record four bars and get it right and then, then change it all. You can't, you know, you had to get your arrangements sorted out. I mean, a good example of that, I think, not on Gold Plater, but say on Stamp Album, would be um, using the power. Oh, let me tell you. was actually a riff that uh, I brought to the band but I played it on the guitar and um, all the time when we were rehearsing in the UK you know I played this riff on the guitar also the where it's placed in the bar where where the drums would come in was quite different and it wasn't <laughs> until we got to the States for some reason I just went and sat on the on a Fender Rhodes and started playing it. When I started playing it on that, John Cuffley, the drummer, came in at the wrong time. And suddenly the whole thing changed. And um, we thought, oh, that sounds good. And so that, that then became that song. And yeah. then, yeah, it evolved from there. Still sounds good to me, that. Yeah, it does. <clears throat> Rocks along a bit, doesn't it? We watched performances in the Yacht Rock group before they took away that capability, but we would notice the live performances that came after were different because the delivery was different and the approach. 
which is why, you know, the studio I always, I always found really exciting. Little pieces of magic, as Richard usually says, you know, something will happen that's always sends you in a different direction. Yeah, you've got, to, but you've got to be open to that, haven't you? You've got to be the sort of band and the sort of musicians who are, who are able to cope with that. It takes it takes a bit of confidence in your playing and confidence in the rest of the band. What you guys were saying about anyone can record, yes, anyone can record. Is everybody good at it? Hell no. I've listened to your current album, and when people are artists, it's different than when someone has the access to the technology. Everybody has access to the technology, but there's still an art to art. I can't explain. It's like an honor for me to even talk with you guys. Like, and if you're hanging out with the Copelands, I understand. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that's very, yeah. that's very well, nice. Well, I, I remember, I remember we used to stay at Miles's house in London. And I remember Stuart as a 12 year old boy playing drums in a cellar. And he's bashing out this. He was fantastic, even at 12 years old, you know. And you know, when you say stick at it, you'll do all right. Yeah, I should have said if you ever need a bass player. But then again, you know what? Sting, pro- I've probably Stinger never told right. you this, Derek. But you know, at, at one point, and I can't remember, I can't remember exactly when it was. I went over there. Into Miles had this lovely big house in St John's Wood, didn't he? Yeah. And um, Stuart uh, would rehearse. A practice with his drums down in the cellar and he said could you come over and and play bass because i'm auditioning guitar players because i'm trying to get this band together yeah so i just went along to play a bit a bit of bass and um about two months later um i went to see this band that he'd put together they were called the police but sting wasn't in them i mean it was before all that you know so so henry padovani Possibly. If I'd played bass a little bit better, Derek, and if I could sing really, really well, I could have been Sting. You could have been. <laughs> well, you've got the haircut. <laughs> no. <laughs> Derek, you, know, you, we... you had played with Stuart later on. I read something yeah. about that. Now, I see his style. He's a fantastic kick-ass drummer. However, I just have to ask you this question. Does he purposely change up his drumming style every time he plays? Or is he just that wild? I think. Uh, well, I, I did work with him. We did some. We did some music for a film for Lucas Films, and uh, he'd got a drum set set up there. And he said, "Get you know, grab your bass. Let's let's have a jam." Anyway, I started playing a shuffle or swinging. You know, he said, "Don't mm-hmm. swing, don't swing." He said, "Just rock and roll, straight ahead, straight ahead," and. Then he said to me, Sting plays downstrokes with a plectrum. You know, and I and I play down and up and I'd play with my fingers and everything. What I really noticed about him was he really drives, drives everything. And it was very difficult to slow him down or get him to sway from that straight ahead driving rhythm, which I thought was fantastic. And, and it was quite a lesson for me, really. He's a great, fantastic drummer. I've just heard him in different contexts. I don't know if it's like intentional that he changes stuff up. I don't know if he has a Keith Moon approach or the Kenny Jones approach. That's what I think. I'm what I think what he brought to the police was was the um, the use of delays on hi hats and things. You know, mm-hmm. so he brought a little bit of extra technology into his playing to allow him to make the sound more complicated, if you like. 
yeah. well, and, most, and most especially the uh, the reggae kind of feel mm -hmm. because you know that that's happened a lot over the years that there's been a sort of minority uh, type of music and what it then takes for for it to be really popular is for the white boys to take it off <laughs> yeah it's true because it's going to, it's going to it's not going to get through otherwise it's to be honest it's, pro it's probably true right from the from the beatles you know yeah. I, I mean obviously we were fairly young when the beatles came out about 14 and i don't know about derek but i mean i'd never heard of smoky robinson but you know you thought that you've really got a hold on, on me it was just the most fantastic thing you'd ever heard whether you'd have heard whether you'd have thought that when it was if you'd heard the Smokey Robinson version, I, I'm not sure at that, that time. I don't think we were sort mm. of ready for it, you know. But mm. once it's wrapped up in in a kind of different package, suddenly it becomes accessible. And I always feel with that, with, with police, it, uh, it sort of made the whole reggae thing really acceptable and commercial. Yeah, but they were great songs as well. You oh, know? yeah, the absolutely. Songwriting was fantastic. Uh, but they might have done them in a different style, mightn't they? Yeah, maybe, yeah. But absolutely, you're right. But every time you know a police record comes on, you go, you know, I think, wow, how how on earth did he come up with that? You know, and uh, still doing it. So, play all credit to them. Yeah. And a great guitarist, Andy Summers, as well. Yeah, I think oh, his yeah. uh, chord playing, absolutely sublime. Since the police were coming around this time, I know we're going into the I Love You period. This is leading up to. I just wanted to touch base on this. To me, I Love You is just such a great song. I just have to say that. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, it's one of those things. Where did that song come from? It just came down to me from nowhere. You know, I sat at the piano and within half an hour, I got got the whole thing. And lucky enough to get it recorded because the band didn't like it. Since then, I never looked back. It's almost like living a dream. And ooh, I love you. The producer wow. liked the song, and um, basically that song is just me and the drummer and, uh, and the string section. Yeah, Colin's not on it, Colin Cooper, the singer. Pete, the guitarist, played the solo that I wanted him to play. It was my solo. I just wanted him to play it, and uh, the rest is just me and Nicky Hopkins, the pianist. could have changed the world with that song. You changed the world with that song. Yeah, I just wish we'd have toured with it. That's the sad thing. We We just fell apart you know wow that's unfortunate because that song is that quintessential or it probably could have just i'm not one of those people that like oh you could have went solo man but dude no i i, I think was, we uh... i think we, we could have taken it all away all the way if we'd have just got our heads down and and thought about it you know because yeah. after one hit record i mean we had couldn't get it right was one hit record we had I Love You, which was another one. I mean, who knows what would have happened. There there were, as with all bands, certain tensions, you know, in, in the group. And the most the most obvious tension was, was really between the people who had um quite wide musical influences. And I would say that uh, me and Derek were the best example of that. And other people who had were concentrating on one sort of more narrow path if you're going to think well i really want to be 
you know, a Chicago blues man and nothing else, you're not going to be that comfortable with having to go on to a, a you know, a teeny bopper program um, to sing a mm. pop song. <laughs> so yeah. There were problems there. But, you know, there, there you are. I mean, it's, it's there and uh, I'm very lucky to have had the opportunity to get it recorded and, and it became a hit. There, there it is. Yeah, I'm, and I'm all these great. things, they are, it's an lo- awful long time ago, all these things happen. And you look back now and you think, well, there's a certain inevitability to certain things that happened. And there are mistakes that people make, you know. And um, yeah, you have to be grateful that you've had some success um, and that you've done something which so many people would uh, give their right arm to do. If they did that, they wouldn't be able to play guitar, but you know what I mean. (laughs) That current organization now that's, please forgive me, I'm not up to date on who's in the current Climax Blues Band group. Nobody. And so so they're just licensing the name and they're just going out and getting gigs? I I mean, please forgive my ignorance. No, no, it's okay. What what happened was um, I left about 1983 and then I went back and I, I, I went back because they needed somebody to help them out as a bass player. So I went back and uh, but I was paid as I was paid as a, as a session man. I got paid by the gig. You know, I wasn't uh, no I was no longer a part of the band. And then um, Peter, the guitarist and Colin, they they parted ways. Pete went to Germany. Colin carried on with a bunch of guys from where we lived in Stoke-on-Trent, Stafford Stoke-on-Trent. And they carried on as the Climax Blues Band with Colin as the lead vocalist, the the, the guy, you know. Yeah. Then then he passed away, but they carried on. So they got another singer that sounded had a deep voice, sounded a bit like him. They and they still carry on now and still go on the road, calling themselves the Climax Blues Band, but with no original members, which is to me is a bit bit odd. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of bands do it, of course. I mean, they, mm. it's, but it, I, it, it riles a bit when when you when you see video of them saying, oh, "I would like to play this song. This song has means so much to us guys," <laughs> and they sing, "Couldn't get it right." <laughs> I think, well, you know, you weren't in it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. I did go oh, and did see like them a, once. But we call them the tribute <laughs> band, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, I went to America a couple of years ago to um just because it was the band's fiftieth anniversary, and I went to a friend of mine over in Seattle, put a band together for me, and I turned up in Seattle to um just to play a few few gigs, few few uh concerts because it was the 50th year. Anyway, the current lot, the current Climax Blues Band had this campaign against me. How dare I go out and be the Climax Blues Band? <laughs> how know. dare you go and sing a song that you're out right, how, right? You know, it was one of these things that tried you know, threatening lawsuits and all this stuff. And uh, yeah. anyway, I was only there for about five or six weeks. I, I got it off my chest. I got to play I Love You live, sing it live, went down a storm, you know, couldn't get it right. Everybody loved it. And I came I came back and that was it. <laughs> so, um, but, to, but to be told I couldn't do that, I thought, yeah, well, you know, how on earth can you say that? I, you know, I, I co-wrote the songs. 
<laughs> there you are. Funny well, people. You know, the fallacy is, is that only happens to black artists. I thought, you know, here you go. Yes. You know, like, oh, well, the platters, you know, none of them are original. Or, hey, you see the Supremes out there. None of them are Mary Wilson, Diana Ross, and Florence Ballard. Yeah. Temptations. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah, just a label, there's several it? temptation groups out there now. None yeah. of them. All of them yeah. dead except Otis, obviously, but... Yeah, but I always, I always say, because obviously, we, you know, we've talked about these things, but I've always said to Derek, would you rather be a guy in a band who's singing somebody else's songs, or would you rather be the guy who is in the band that wrote those songs, yeah, recorded yeah. those songs, and every time somebody else sings it, you get the royalties? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Cha-ching! Yeah. Well, there you go. So let's uh, talk about Shadow Man. Yeah, Richards. Off you go. Oh, off, oh, well, a, a couple of years ago, is it now? Possibly. Um, there came out a biography of Climax Blues Band that was written by Derek and this established kind of writer and publisher called Robert Forsyth. And we, we all contributed, um, you know, a lot of the... Uh, content to this book so it's, and it's a really nice book it's a it's thick it's heavy it's got lots of pictures in it you know um it was a kind of limited edition but it's, i'm gonna uh, find it, it. it yeah this this is because this is radio um derek will show you a picture of it <laughs> very very well derek anyway. that's the coolest room i've ever seen i love that bedroom my wife would be super happy she wants a headboard like that Oh, your wife's probably been in that bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Any road. One of the stories that we there you go, Derek. Derek, listeners. Derek oh, is now true. showing the cover of the Climax Blues Band biography, which is called "Using the Power," and he's pointing to a very handsome eighteen-year-old on the cover. <laughs> this is working very, very well. Oh. Yes, excellent. Anyway, beautiful, beautiful pictures. <laughs> yes, yeah. there is. A, there's a story in it about um, obviously when you when you're making albums, you try lots of different things. Some of it gets finished, some of it doesn't get finished. Um, and there was a song that I brought to the band called Shadow Man, and it got as far as I would say we were probably about halfway through the recording of it. You know, in other words, the sort of basic stuff had been put on. And it was, it was sounding good enough that when Miles Copeland came in to hear how we were getting on, he heard it and he said, there's your next single, lads. This is before we had Couldn't Get It Right. He said, that's the next single. Anyway, and there may or there may not be a connection with that, with yeah. the fact that it never got on the album. <laughs> so anyway, it didn't get on the album, but oh, I always sort of remembered it. So when, uh, when the book came out, I said to Derek, Hey, you know, because we were saying, oh, I was a shame that song never got onto the album, wasn't it? Because um, there were other songs that me and Derek wrote, which later, in particular, um, the beginning of Extra, which on, on CD releases, it did get onto the album. And there was a CD release that said it had Shadow Man on it, but actually it was this beginning bit to extra that it had on it. So they got the title wrong. Mm. So we said, well, look, why don't we have a go at actually recording the song again? Shadow. 
did that and it's quite interesting because Derek lives in Mallorca and I live you know just outside London but you know with the magic of uh, the uh, the digital recording medium we we managed to do this song and um, <laughs> we did it we thought that was good fun wasn't it and no. uh, why don't we do a few more and so we started this process of of throwing ideas forwards and backwards and gradually sort of doing a collaborative writing thing by basically, you know, a sort of conversation, you know, over the airwaves and uh, gradually building up these songs and uh, building up the recordings. And then the thing started to get some sort of shape to it. Um, so, you know, I think that if, I don't know if you got this when you were listening to it, Michael, but it's the, uh, the, the whole album is a kind of narrative. There's a there's a definite story to it, and certainly is for us anyway, and a sort of feel which goes through the album, um, starting from when we were sort of 13, 14, to, you know, something about the, mod, the modern day, that what we live in. Um, so that's, that was it really. It started off as a, as a, as a one-off and it, it turned into a, whole album yeah as we would call it in the old-fashioned very enjoyable as well it was uh, yeah it, it was conceived really most of it was conceived during the lockdown period as well so when we were all locked away in our wherever we were you know we were able to communicate with each other and be creative yeah. and that's how i see the whole thing it was um well it just was creative as creative anybody effort. will know you know if you that if you if you can if you can get a partnership together which is um totally collaborative and there's and i would say lacking in ego then it is a very enjoyable thing so you know we 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 never argued about anything because you know if you sensed Oh, I've got this idea. I quite like it, but Derek isn't exactly throwing himself in the air. You just think, oh, we'll ditch that one and um, get another idea. Yeah, try this. We, we know that we're going to keep on coming up with ideas. And the same thing with songs. I mean, we ditched several ideas. I think we probably started and got rid of, you know, at least half a dozen uh, songs. Well, I mean, there are the, the almost yeah. completed songs that never made this particular album so yeah uh it's probably something that we can look at for the future you know yeah because it didn't yeah. sort of fit into the the feel the narrative we didn't feel particularly comfortable with some of the things it's an enjoyable process anyway i've always i've always loved yeah. coming up with coming up with ideas you know you start with nothing and you and end up hopefully with something is, i mean obviously it's not the same as sitting in the same room because in the same room you can have an instantaneous sort of uh, judgment, if you like, um, and you get these little sparks that happen. But it, so it was different from that. But there was, 
um, I don't know if you felt this, Derek. I'd send something off to you and say, here, I've done my bit. Can you think of something to go on that? And then I'd get this, I'd get these wave files, you know, come back and stick them into the mix, not knowing at all what it was going to be, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I'd put it on and um, there was there, there was never a point when I thought, oh my God, how am I going to tell him that's terrible? <laughs> Every time, you know, you put it in, you go, oh, great. And then you think, oh, I've got something I can put on that now and send that back. And so it was just yeah. a joy, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Behind <laughs> Shadow Man, the title of that specific song, what exactly is the meaning behind Shadow Man? Well, when I wrote that, it was supposed to be for Colin Cooper to sing because, how shall I put it, Colin liked to, liked to drink and he liked to drink from the moment that he got up in the morning <laughs> to the time he went to bed. So I sort of, I, I, the idea was, you know, it, it's, it started with the idea of somebody just waking up, you know, waking up pissed or with a hangover or whatever phrase you might say. And so that's how it started, you know, that feeling of, you know, oh my goodness. The and, blues. and then there are some words <laughs> in there that I can't remember what they mean. <laughs> but it's got a nice sort of feel to it. So the actual why Shadow Man, I don't know. Why, why I am the walrus, I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, when you said the story of how you recorded the album and versus the title that I just asked for, yes. my perception of what I, I pictured, even though like we're, we're talking now, and when I listened to the music and I listened to the way it was recorded, it sounded like as if you guys did it live in a studio. So yeah. before you said that, I thought it was just all done takes and I was gonna ask about personnel and all that stuff. But more than that, I thought it was more like a Native American type of approach, like, hey, the shadow man. And then this music was birthed through, that's what my, Preconceived. No, it, was, it, it was about somebody being being drunk and maybe seeing shadows on the wall ah. and you know this this whole, whole idea that the bogeyman's gonna get you and he's just woken up and he's had he's had nightmares and i think well, that that completely changes the to me that like makes it even much more like uh intriguing <laughs> let's just put it that way yeah and yeah. it was nothing was nothing was um obviously played live you know i mean that that started I think I just put an acoustic guitar on, you know, and and I sang it as a as a guide, and then said to Derek, "You've got to copy my singing exactly, Derek." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that, but he already he already knew it, and we and we um, we still had the the sort of demo that Climax had done as well as a guide. We just sped it up a bit, you know. <laughs> And then well, just when... gradually added things, and you're talking about other personnel. The guy that we used on a couple of tracks um, is, is a very good friend of mine called Richard Martin, who plays sax, and he's a lovely player. So he's, he's playing sax on Shadow Man and on Waiting for Payday, which to me sounds absolutely like a climax track, and uh, he sounds great on that. Yeah. One song that I really like stood out to me personally that touched me was the "I'm Crying," and uh, that's because wow. the the layers and just the way the song is together and 
it could be a, any era piece. How strong is the will to share a game with all the thrills? How strong are we now surrendering to how love feels? And I'm crying. Yes, I'm crying. I'm still crying. Just to put, you know, an extra element into that particular song, that started off by me recording, you know, the opening riff of it, because you're going to play it in a minute, aren't you? The opening <laughs> riff of it, I'm playing on a bazooki, which is a kind of folk instrument. It's got four sets of double strings, and it's tuned in a very strange way. So it started off with that, and that was it. And I sent that to Derek. And, um, you know, he started turning it into, um, into a song. So that had a, a, a genesis from a completely non sort of rock background, you know? Mm. Yeah. Of and Nash, it reminds me of the, the intro, actually. Did Great. they use a bazooki as well then? Well, <laughs> probably not, but it's, it's just, you know, it sort it's of very, very, like, ca very catchy. It's great. It sort of sounds like a 12-string acoustic, doesn't it, really? Hmm. When is your release going to be available for download? Derek? I don't know, actually. Oh, I, 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 thought, I, I thought you were involved with that. Uh, <laughs> right, well, it's, it's available on Bandcamp. We've got a lead single coming out, which is um, Time's Not On Our Side, which is a kind of, it's a song about climate change. And that is is uh, being released on your you know your streaming platforms uh, Friday the twenty first of January, and it'll be on you know, Spotify and Apple Music and all these other things I don't really I don't really know about. Um, and then the whole album will be coming out. I think it's about mid March. Is there any plans, hopefully, to take it on the road? Possibly. Well, that that would be fantastic, really. I mean, I'd love to come to come back to America. It's the logistics of putting it all together, and the COVID thing has destroyed a lot of it. And um, I, I just don't know. I just don't know. You know, whether whether anybody would even be able to put it together. It's just getting promoters interested, agencies interested. Yes. Bums on seats, I always say. That's what it's about. But it would be great to play it all live. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You'd have to play, I'd have to be playing acoustic guitar and a little bit of piano and a little bit of accordion all at the same time. Yeah, well. <laughs> and what was the other instrument you said? The do, do, Accordion. The, oh, bazooki. 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 There you go, the bazooki. I'm, I'm not sure I'd want to. I, um, I've, I've been playing in folky bands for the last <sighs> 20 years, you know, and... Um, the last time I, I, um, I mean, we played, you know, good gigs. We played all the big festivals in uh, the UK and such. And I did one gig at um, this big festival 
and with my bazooki, I started playing it and it was about a semitone out of tune to everybody else. And it takes so long to tune up. I just, I just thought, I'm just going to soldier on and hope nobody notices. <laughs> well, gentlemen, cool. it's been a pleasure having you guys on. If anyone is interested, you can check out the book called Using the Power, which was published by Moonshine Editions, which is the biography of Climax Bluesbound. Also coming out which is what this interview is about, is The Shadow Man by Holt and Jones, Derek and Richard. Gentlemen, I really appreciate you guys being on today. And everyone, please check on the links after this interview and find the release of their new song, Time's Not On Our Side. It's your Doc Master, Michael Ocellano. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Starboard podcast, look me up on Facebook. That's Doc Master Mike on Facebook. And there you can find links to our guest, and to our past podcast episodes.